Unfortunately, there's no manual that magically appears when your child reaches their teenage years and starts to have to study for their exams. I for one often wondered whether I was being more of a hindrance than a help. I can't be the only one that felt like that, can I? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can help them get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support our young people. There'll be a new episode out every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who might benefit from hearing what our experts have to say. Today, I'm joined by three parents, Angela, Chantelle and Simon. Each of them have children at or approaching GCSE age, and Chantelle and Simon have recently been through revision before with their eldest child. Angela, Chantelle and Simon, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Before we get started, what I'd like to do is um, just talk to you about your school days and ask you what kinds of subjects you like doing, what kind of a student you were, that kind of thing. So, Angela, let's start with you. How were you at school? Um, I think I was basically a really good, hardworking kid, to be honest. I don't think I gave my parents too much hassle. Um, I wouldn't say I found um, studying easy. I don't think things came easy to me. Um, I had to really, really work hard, but that like really paid off in the end. And uh, my job now is I am a teacher. I do love being a learner, a lifetime learner. And I think um, it's kind of paid dividends, really, in how I teach children in school. Um I always say I'm a really good teacher to other people's children, if I'm honest, because <laughs> when it comes to teaching your own children, they know what buttons to press, don't they? But uh, no, I was a, yeah, a hard worker, I would say. They certainly do know, um, almost instinctively, I think, how to, um, how to press those buttons, as you say. Definitely. And Simon, how about you? I guess when I started school, um, I was a, a disaster. Um, <laughs> I did not get on at all well. Yeah, well, I moved schools a lot. I actually went to nine different schools before I was 10 years old. So that really didn't help in different countries as well. So then when I finally got to a single school, um, I think my first year was not good. But then I had a couple of teachers that actually made a real difference. I had a really good maths teacher, a really good English teacher. I started to do a bit better. So that was kind of um, then when I started my O-levels, geography, I had a really good geography teacher and I enjoyed geography and biology, kind of made me a lot more interested in learning. I ended up actually going to university in the end, which was a bit of a surprise for all of us, really. And Chantelle? Um, I went to, I went away to school and it was very, very boring. So there really wasn't anything much else to do other than study. And my friendship group were very much studiers. So I did work hard, but I wouldn't say I worked hard because I wanted to. I worked hard because everybody else was doing the same thing. Um, Favourite subjects were sciences and literature. Yeah, I was, I was relatively organised, but I would say not naturally organised. I was organised because the friends that I was with were very organized so so organization didn't come naturally to me and studying didn't come naturally to me I just was a little sheep and followed my friendship group and um, the same to you same as you Simon I so for example geography I actually thought I hated subject but it was actually because I didn't get along with the teacher at all and now 
later on in life, I realised actually geography is really interesting. But the subjects where I liked the teachers were the subjects that I did really well in. I think that's not uncommon, is it, that that there are some subjects that we love, um, whether that's because the uh, teacher, because we feel that we were um, good at them, um, they might come easily, that kind of thing. Um, which then does make it very difficult, doesn't it, when you've got to study everything. So if we think about GCSEs and you've got eight, nine or ten subjects, chances are you, there are going to be some that you don't enjoy. How do you think, and I should say, of course, that um, Simon and Chantal, so you've both had children that have been through GCSEs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you find it when there are subjects that they don't naturally want to, to study? A lot harder. <laughs> they have got that initial enthusiasm of liking what they're studying. So if you like what you study, you've got that enthusiastic base to begin with. But I've kind of sold it, if you like, to my kids that, okay, you don't really like it, but it might be quite a useful subject and you're not going to be doing it forever. So, you know, you're, mm. you're, you understand it, you can do it, but you don't like it. So let's just bear with it for this time period and then it's going to be finished. Yeah, actually, that that's kind of, yeah, there's an end in sight. And after you get this, if you pass your exam, you might actually uh, not have to do it again. Yeah. Um, but also, I did find with my son that as you got closer to GCSEs within a few terms of taking the exams, um, or maybe a couple of terms, he realized the importance of actually having to pass all his subjects. So even though he was reluctant, um, he did revise but not as much for the ones he didn't like as the ones he did like. It was really hard for him to move from doing something that he liked um, to then saying, oh, my God, this afternoon I'm going to have to do this subject I don't like, which um, led to a lot of very long lunch break anyway. (laughs) I think the advice that I give to my students at school is start always start off with the hardest parts first of it that you don't enjoy. And I think study buddy really lends itself to that in terms of the breakdown of the um specification the curriculum um and i always say to them you know it's life you, you've got to build up that resistance you're not going to enjoy everything you do in life and it applies to all your subjects so start off with the difficult ones don't see it as an obstacle see it as a challenge and then hopefully then at the end of your revision you can revisit the most difficult areas it, it's you know you've just got to get them used to it haven't you really and just make sure it's it's reality they've got to know it it can be difficult can't it because on the one hand you want you, they need to crack the hard stuff and, and the stuff that they don't like. Um, but also it can be quite demoralising if you're feeling like you're wading through treacle in, in something you don't, you're just not enjoying as much as um, another subject. But as you say, there it's important to get that balance, isn't it, of actually the stuff you need to do. We've got YouTube, haven't we? Just stick YouTube on, stick a video on. It's quite amazing, really. You know, there's so many teachers out there that you can watch and who can inspire on a subject yeah. that you're really not interested in. Yeah, that, that is a good point, actually. So that is something my son did. Um, if I tried to help him with the subject, it really <laughs> wasn't a very good conversation. And yeah. um, it probably got so much emotion in him that it was just not helpful. Um, but he, off his own bat, found things on video, whether it was bite size or YouTube yeah. or somewhere. But anyway, yeah. he said, like, I'm watching a video on it, Dad. I mean, we did actually do some little tests with him as well for um, the subjects um, that he was revising every now and then. We'd have just a little kind of informal, um, you know, one of the parents would um, ask some questions just from the textbook 
And um, so we were able to do that. But no, going in and saying, OK, this is how you do piece of maths or something in physics wasn't helpful. Well, we're a generation away, aren't we? And, you know, what we were taught is going to be taught very differently now. So we're already out of date to them. I think it's, it's mm. building up that survival kit, isn't it, for our kids, that study survival kit. And you've got to, they've got to take those tools out when they need them. And it, it's, it's encouraged them to do it independently as well, which is mm. important. And the variety as well out there. I mean, as you say, I'm not quite wax crayons and, um, and slate boards, but there was only really one way of doing it. And that's textbook writing Absolutely. index cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas now there is a variety between various um, testing apps um, and I mean, a whole wealth of online resources, BBC Bite Size and, and other, YouTube. Um, so, I mean, there's just a wealth. How do you, how did the children go about finding what's right for them? And, and do you think it's always going to be the same thing? I think for me, Sophia took a GCSE a year early. And that was quite a learning curve because she had what she thought was an established way of studying, which worked for her how I used to study in the olden days, um, little cards, writing key phrases on the cards and then rereading the cards and rewriting it out. And that's how she studied. And she put in hours and hours and hours and hours. And she passed. But for the amount of hours she put in, she was disappointed with her grade. And at that point, I said, maybe you need to revisit how you study because there are so many different modes. But she had felt that that was the the thing that worked for her because she'd not experienced taking a GCSE before. So this time around to take the rest of the GCSEs, she very much has explored YouTube and I would say mostly YouTube. I think that's Mm. tricky a little bit as well because you've got to have that element of trust in your kids because, Mm. you know, when we started lockdown, <laughs> I was still in teacher mode, in all honesty. So I insisted that the kids gave me their phones and, you know, their bedroom door was shut so that they could study quietly. And it didn't really work, to be honest. And it created a little bit of tension in the house. So that was kind of abandoned. But to go onto YouTube, they're going to have to use technology, aren't they? And you've got to trust that they're going to use it appropriately. And, you know, it, obviously we've still got a parent and we've still got to monitor that in the way that you do. Um, but you've got to get that balance. And I think that's the difference at the moment in lockdown. It's getting that balance of actually they are your children and you love them, you care for them, but you're also trying to keep going with that love of learning, that love of education as well, but in the most appropriate way that you can. And I think it's going to be very different for individuals, isn't it? It's absolutely different. It's, you've got to have that variety. Um, what might suit one child might not suit another. Um, I, th- I think that trust thing is really powerful. Um, when I think back to when my son was starting his GCSE revision the fact that GCSEs were looming and I could see them eight weeks away or something and uh, I was thinking okay really need to be ramping up some revision now might have even been further out than that Um, saying to my son okay what are you going to study today and um, okay have you done it yet and me telling him don't you think you should be doing some maths Um, yeah kind of didn't work but then when we flipped it around and said okay you're going to organize your own schedule um and we gave him some stuff that helped him break down each of his topics into the various kind of you know some bite-sized chunks of each topic um and then said okay you organize the schedule um that made a huge difference i mean it was hard as a parent to think is he actually including everything is he leaving enough time for things um but once he was actually given the responsibility for setting the schedule, um, that went a lot better, avoided a lot of arguments. And also, you know, he would just get up, 
have his breakfast and he decided he was going to start at nine o'clock. So somewhere between nine and nine thirty, he actually did sit down and start doing it without needing to be prompted to get off his phone or whatever. So um, it was really hard as a parent. Um, I'm not sure every day worked perfectly. Some days um, somehow there was uh, a film playing or something or a game uh, in the room where he was revising that I'm not sure was being very helpful. But, um, you know, it was um, it was overall a very powerful thing as a parent to show your kid that you trusted them with something this important. And so what do you think what do you think is the tipping point to that to um, taking the leap to trust them? Because it doesn't come naturally, I don't think, to us as parents in in modern times, because we are so used to doing everything for them and not wanting them to um, to fail. So is it just bravery, Chantal, do you think? Or is it um, is it something more? uh, My two are very different. So Sophia, I can completely trust because she's very interstudy, very organized and wants to really do well. With Louis, it was very different. So and, and there is there's always that you know there's video games and films to watch and that you know you are absolutely not helping me with this I'm going to do it on my own if I do it at all and it was I found it really quite difficult with Louis but then he did realize that actually if he did put in some work it did help but the trust thing I found a lot harder with him because you know, they're all very different. One is very much wanting to play video games and not work at all. And one is very driven and self-motivated to work. So to then trust the one that isn't self and motivated is really difficult. But you, as you say, you have to kind of let them do it because we've all tried making them and we've all tried monitoring them and it doesn't work. And at this age, it just causes conflict and bad feelings. So... And, and my, my son, um, just to, to add to that, he he's not very organized. He's he's extremely disorganized, as many teenage boys are. Um, also, he um, probably struggles with communication and also with you know, self-esteem confidence. If he was given the task to say, OK, will you now organize your study schedule for the next eight weeks for um, however many subjects it was, I think nine, that would have been an overwhelming task that never would have got started. We used Study Buddy, and what that gave us was this ability to break down this huge, huge, massive revision into little bits. That gave him the ability to actually think, okay, how can I, how can I even start doing this? And it also gave him um, something that kind of meant that um, it captured everything. So, you know, he got his arms around the whole thing and he was then able to break it down. So I don't think he could have taken that on on his own, no, no matter how much we trusted him, um, without a tool like that to help him actually get through get through that organisational task. I completely agree with that, Simon. I think um, I've been in teaching 20 years now. I am absolutely flabbergasted by the amount of content our children are expected to learn for their GCSEs nowadays. It's a completely different ball game. Um, recently, my son had to do some mock exams. He's only in year 10, and they gave him a lot of paper ones to do. I'm a science teacher. I teach all three sciences. And I actually broke down how many hours it would take me to sort of do one-to-one tutoring with him. And it was 30 hours just for science, just for this period of time where he was going to be examined on all of his um, papers. And I just said to him, it's just not doable. And it was quite heartbreaking. 
Um, so mm. we used study buddy. It, it was really, really helpful to um, have those magnetic cards to break down um, the whole of the specification and just pop it on the board and say, right, we'll cover this then and this then. Um, and we managed to get through it, but it was it was tough. The, the, the amount of content is really, really tough these days. And unfortunately, you also want to um, go in to want to, you know, linking into what Chantal was saying about mental health. You want to encourage them to do sporting activities outside of school, do their interests in music and drama and whatever floats their boat. And, you know, you want a well-rounded child at home. You want someone that's happy. And I honestly think post-corona, really, really, the government needs to think about what the education system is doing to our kids. And as parents, we are hopefully their safe people. Home is their safe place. And we've just got to encourage a genuine love of learning. And hopefully during this period of time that we've got them at home, we can do that in whatever way we can. It might not necessarily be a conventional way. Um, the best idea I've had, mainly, if I'm honest with you, to stop me cooking every day is to introduce Come Dine With Me to my kids. So um, every Sunday, one of my children, so I've got three children, um, they kind of are hosting Come Dine With Me. It's entirely up to them what theme, it's entirely up to them what entertainment. I am the sous chef, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll get to it one day where they'll be doing it entirely. But we've had a scream, we've had such a laugh, and it's really, really good bonding time. So as you say, that really helps to keep that balance, doesn't it? During Corona we're not suddenly teachers. Um, I'm, I'm hardly even a classroom assistant, but we need to help keep them on track as best as we can, but also not try to not be parents. And I think breaking it up, the monotony, it's as monotonous for them as it is for us. And something like that, you'll come down with me, I will definitely be stealing um, and introducing as if it was my own idea. Yeah, I actually wondered if you could send your kids around to, um, to cook for us. That sounded like a great idea. Thinking about what um, both Simon and um, Angela have just been talking about with the the enormity of the content that's involved in all of it, let alone just um, one subject, how important do you think it is that they sort of feel that success more immediately because everything else can just seem so far away, it can be overwhelming and, and really daunting? Yeah, I was going to bring up actually linked into what Simon and Chantal were saying. I mean, I know it's a sweeping statement, but there is a gender divide. There's an absolute gender divide on how boys and girls tackle they're studying personally I think it's down to organization and as Simon said you know some kids are better at organizing themselves than others um, to have something like study buddy to help with that has helped massively for my son because I just think he would have thought he could just pull it out of the bag when it came to it and I think in years gone by kids have done that but because of the enormity of the content of the curriculum for every subject it's impossible to do now they can't get those top grades but also I think what we've seen in this um, school closures uh, because of COVID-19 that actually the idea, and I was definitely guilty of it myself, the idea that actually I'll pull a few all-nighters and I'll pull it out the bag at the last minute actually has gone against a lot of children in this, uh, in this situation because they yeah. would have been through mocks and thought, it's only a mock, it's not real, um, I can still do it later. I've got all of Easter um, and then all of a sudden it's been taken away. I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not that has changed uh, how our um, how our other children, because um, all of us have got children that will be doing GCSEs in one or two years' time, changes whether it changes the approach that they have to spreading revision over a longer period of time. Chantal, do you think that that's going to be the case with your youngest? I think, yes, I think things will change. I think what's happened now is we've been able to see, because I've had one go through GCSEs and one that technically should have been just going through GCSEs, and we've used study buddy each time, and as a parent, I'm better able to see with the magnetic cards the, the workload they have because it's broken down into all the individual topics. But 
what we did with Sophia was, okay, we have got all these cards and there's absolutely loads of them, but just flick through them and pull out the topics that you categorically know and you're really comfortable with. And, and with Sophia, it was really good because she started with this quite large pile and she was able to probably get that down by a quarter with topics that she absolutely categorically was comfortable with. I think it's, it is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, it is also a little unpopular to think that there are um, stereotypes according to the gender divides. But actually, my experience with a son and a daughter is mm. very similar. That, that the son was very much like me, um, cocky and lazy, whereas my daughter is a studious. And they really do play to those um, gender stereotypes. But do you think still, though, that there are aspects that we can adopt or adapt from um, our eldest, in all of our case, actually, um, the, the more procrastinating boy, and apply that to the, our daughters, Simon? Yeah, um, I do think kids are very different. Uh, it may be because of de- gender um, sort of traits, but regardless of where the differences come from, being able to actually allow for those differences and let each child do it in their own way is, I think, what's important. We've been in lockdown because of COVID-19 for a good few weeks now. And what we've discovered is um, letting kids do things at the time they want to, um, something as simple as that does make a difference. So um, one child might want to um, get it all out of the way and the other one might feel they're more um, alert and more kind of into whatever they're doing in the evening. And just letting them schedule their day in that way um, Mm -hmm. has been helpful. And in a way, we couldn't have done that if they're at normal school, because school would have happened between certain hours, whether the kid was awake and engaged or not, you know. Um, And so that's been interesting. Um, But then I also feel um, some of the things that we had with my son um, in terms of uh, reluctance to organize and really finding it difficult to get started, really, more than being purely reluctant. that's just not something we see with my daughter. My daughter is the most organized person in our house and she she will get herself organized in all sorts of ways, all sorts of aspects of her life uh, without any prompting whatsoever. So it's interesting that we're, that we're brought back to this question of, of trust. How do you think it's it's possible to balance the, the need that we know we have to, to trust our children to do it, but also this underlying concern, which tends to end up uh, looking a bit like nagging. Do you think there's a a balance that we can strike? I think there is. Um, So I have three children and all three are very different. So one studies ridiculously to the extreme that I'm worried about the amount that she does is too much. One was doing absolutely nothing. And then the one that I've got coming up to GCSEs next time round is middle of the road. So different approaches for different children. Um, I did start off very much with the one that doesn't like studying, nag, nag, nag. Uh, have you done this yet? What subjects have you studied today? All the usual questions that parents ask, and it just caused conflict and arguments. So I think there's a lot of positive around rephrasing, because at the end of the day, we need to know that the work is being done, um, but we need to do it in a more positive way that doesn't come across as nagging. So even if it's something subtle like, uh, I don't actually need to know what you've done, you don't need to tell me, but how about you just leave your stuff out on the table and I'll just have a little nose. And that's less kind of intrusive and less harsh than what have you done today? Can you show me, oh, you haven't done enough. You said you would do this and actually you haven't. 
So you can keep an eye on it by just having a little look through. But rather than go behind their back and then address what they haven't done, I have been quite open with him and said, just leave it out and I'll have a little browse, uh, if you don't mind. And they can't really say no. Picking up on a point you were just making there, Chantel, it was about um, uh, the nagging conversation. So um, what have you been doing today? What are you doing now? Um, Should you be doing that at the moment? Those kind of things. Um, Obviously coming from a point of being a concerned parent, but really, really destructive from a child's point of view in terms of... um, uh, putting them off and making them angry. We actually had an agreement that, okay, we're not going to nag you like that at all, but we do need to have one time a week that we can actually sit down and have a sensible kind of grown-up conversation about how things are going. Um, because children do need support and you know they, they need an opportunity to be able to say, actually, this hasn't gone that well, or uh, yeah, I've really nailed that and it's in the bag. We found having that one session a week um, was very helpful because everyone could kind of sign up to that. Um, there was benefit to the child that there wasn't going to be any nagging. And, and, and indeed, from the parents' point of view, the whole house was a happier place. I really like that idea. I'm going to steal that one, I think, because uh, <laughs> I think, that, you know, we're dealing with mini adults, aren't we? Our children are mini adults, and I don't think I'd like to be micromanaged with my time. Anyway. I think that weekly drop-in where you can catch up and see how they're, how they're doing, what's, what's worked well for them, and it's less naggy, as you say, it's less it's less judgmental, um, or should be less judgmental, and less emotional. Certainly the, something that we've found with our method is that, that having that weekly review and then a plan, in one sort of 20-minute session, you can get so much more out of how progress is, uh, what's gone well, what, what needs to be improved, that you would have never seen anything like that if you were over the kitchen table do you really think you've done enough now or don't you think you should be studying exactly as you say? And it very, very simply turns it on its head and makes it a much better environment. Um, certainly I found when um, when we were doing this with Jake that that actually that the house de-stressed almost instantly because you feel calmer. You're doing, you know you're doing what you can to support your child to fulfill their potential. And ultimately that's that's the only reason we're doing any of this. I think another key is to continuously where appropriate give them praise for what they're doing so if they've completed a topic that you know they really just didn't want to do then to just my god I can't believe you've done that well done just some pats on the back and some praise because you know at the end of the day none of them really want to be doing it even if it's a subject they like it's you know especially with all the sunshine they don't really want to be inside studying all the time but I think if we can remember to praise, that's that's a real positive for them and a real makes them feel good inside. Yeah, I think that's particularly important for our boys because they don't tend to talk as much as the girls and you know tell tell you how they feel. I think boys, I think they they hide a lot and um, some are quite insecure. I think really, in all honesty, and so they need that praise. We've heard before that that praise of the process and learning um, is really really important because as and certainly as part of this studying at home and revising for GCSEs, as our children will be doing in in future eventually, uh, it's really important that they they understand the, the growth that they're going through and that uh, growth mindset, as we heard from Chris Hildrew before now, that that actually it's the process of learning which is really important. The result, the result unfortunately, for GCSEs is, obviously, but there's a development stage that they're going through by, by keep going at it, by building their resilience, by... Um, understanding that if they can't do something is they can't do it yet 
Um, and as you say, praise Chantel is, is absolutely a key part of it. Thanks, Angela, Chantal and Simon for sharing their experiences. It's been incredible to hear from other parents, to hear about the trials and tribulations of having teens study for their exam. I absolutely loved the idea that having been through the experience of revising with my eldest, that I'm now in a better position to help my daughter. And mostly because I've learned about myself and how I can be a bit more supportive. What I've taken away from this is absolutely that trusting our children to take a bit more control of their study plans is key. Of course, it's down to them, but it is important that we learn how to play our role in supporting them. Whether that's in the approach to exams or more generally about studying at home, our role is to inspire our children to want to learn. As always, my thanks to you for listening to the Study Sessions podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to our guests as much as I did. And if you did, please leave us a review and a rating. Remember, there's a new episode every Friday. So don't forget to subscribe and share with other people who you think might like to know that we are all in the same boat.